Better. Better. I want to get up and do my thing. I need to get up and do my thing. Moving. Moving. I want to get into it. Can I get into it? I mean moving. Doing it. This is the Masters of Cinema cast. My name is Joachim. Uh, my name is Tom Jennings. And welcome back, Tom. I almost said uh, it's been... How long has it been? A couple of months, even? A good couple of months, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, there's been various schedules have conflicted yes. on this one. Um, I went through a rather brilliant phase of not having a great deal to do at work. And that has come crashing down around my ears. So, um, obviously, because it's the summer... People like to get out and do lots of filming during the summer, so uh, the diary kind of quickly filled up, and we had a couple of uh, missed opportunities. I think we didn't we when we kind of uh, couldn't we were planning and recording and couldn't for whatever reasons, but yeah, back on track. Yeah, I know for myself, it's been quite busy with school and practice and everything, so um, I just needed we need, we both needed some uh, time away from the podcast. I think so, but it's good to be back. No, definitely. Uh, before we start talking about today's film, which is Soul Power, uh, I thought we'd do a bit of a news roundup since it's been quite a while since we haven't talked. Yes, so. yeah. uh, first up, we have uh, Spine Number 148, Lucino Visconti's conversation piece, uh, which will be released on August 15th on a dual format. So this is made in 1974, 11 years after Bert Lancaster and Visconti, they made Leopard. So this is kind of a reunion of sorts. And this will feature uh, a new 2K restoration and both the original English language track and an Italian dub. And also an interview with uh, critic Alessandro Bencivenni. Um, I never heard of this film, so I have nothing to say about it. But what about yourself? I'd never heard of it. Um, I, I didn't know anything about it, to be brutally honest with you. So it was—it took me by surprise. Mm-hmm. Have you seen uh, the leopard? Uh, yes, I've seen the leopard, which is possibly one of—I I personally think one of the greatest Blu-ray transfers ever. Oh wow! The Criterion edition. Yeah, yeah. Um, BFI put out a Blu-ray of it as well, which was equally—well, wasn't equally as good, but it, it was in the same ballpark. But the restoration of the leopard is stunning. I, mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely jaw-dropping. Um, it was one of the first, I think it was one of the first Criterion Blu-rays that I upgraded. Okay. And I seem to, I, I, th- I think I did it on the basis that um, the review on Blu-ray.com was like, this is you know, one of the greatest ones so far. And I watched it on like a 50-inch television was my first kind of experience of it. And I recently watched it on uh, on my projector. And yeah, it's, it's jaw-dropping. It just, the it's a, it was a 70 millimeter. It was shot on, an, I, I, can't, I can't remember what specifically format or what, brand of 70 millimeter it was but the image is just it looks like it was filmed yesterday mm. and uh it, it was a prime example of how to do a film restoration nice. no, no kind of scrubbing you know it's, it's obviously just taken from the negative there's been no kind of messing around with the colors or the saturation and anything like that it's it's just a beautiful film the story itself I, I for one really enjoyed the leopard i know a few people who i reckon i had a friend who's sicilian who i made him watch it and uh 
he was kind of slightly bored by it. I think it's very it's an epic in in terms of running time. I don't necessarily think it's an epic in terms of you know the visual spectacle of seeing hundreds of armies march together. It's not that type of epic, epic. Mm. but it no. certainly is. It's an epic melodrama, I suppose, would be the way yeah. I would I would describe it. But I, I would to, to anyone who who hasn't picked up the Blu-ray yet, I would say it should really be an almost essential purchase. And like I said, that is for the Criterion. BFI did their version, which was a slightly lower bit rate. And I have compared them and the Criterion nudges it, by, but not much. By, but obviously you get, there's two cuts of the film as well, I think in the Criterion one. So yeah, I would, uh, if you can try and get hold of that one. I've only seen Senso actually out of uh, Visconti's previous films so I haven't seen Rocco and his brothers either but well, Rocco and his brothers is one of my favourite films yeah we um, need to do that for the show soon so yes the, the new Blu-ray that came through from uh, Master Cinema from that one I've, I've, I've watched it yeah it's it's never looked as good really and the, you know, the DVD that they put out of Rocco and his brothers still look pretty great mm. um, but this yeah it takes it to another level mm. Um, just a quick side note. Um, yesterday, for the first time, I ripped a Criterion Blu-ray onto my Mac, so I'll be able to kind of watch extras uh, in a faster speed rate. Uh, because a big problem for me was that I, when I watch, when I was watching extras, I had to play them in normal time. Right. And watching like a three-hour documentary or something about the film. It, it's hard to justify the time for that uh, yeah. unless you can kind of speed things up a bit. So I mean, that, was, yeah. Yeah, that was a huge thing in my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, my, my kind of criterion when I was importing them workflow was to get hold of the disc. The first thing I had to do was to then rip the disc onto a hard drive and then copy that onto a re-recordable Blu-ray to make it region free. Mm. So I'm probably lining myself up here for some sort of lawsuit, possibly. <laughs> so, I'm, but, but I never, sh- I never made copies or gave them to anyone. But yeah, it was a pain in the ass. Well, it still is a pain in the ass, actually, to be brutally honest with you, because you have to kind of. It, it takes away the kind of the impulse of watching a Criterion film. Yeah. So I have to look at it and think, right, up to, and each process. So when you rip the data from the disc, that takes about an hour, mm-hmm. and then to burn it. So it's about an hour and a half faffing around to get like what I can watch now obviously Criterion now have bought out or so no sorry actually another side note you can get software for Macs so you can play the disc on the like I mean I use DVD fab media player but it's the most buggiest software ever and then you're limiting yourself you have to watch it on your television or on your computer screen and obviously if it's a film like The Leopard I'm not going to want to watch it on a 27 inch Apple Mac when I've got a 110 inch screen in my loft which is how that film needs to be seen so it is a bit of a faff around mm-hmm. um luckily i i have my mac uh, connected up to my home cinema entertainment so right um i can play discs there but still just the fact that i need to watch it in normal time yeah. it kind of um it kind of makes it more difficult for me to watch just the extras yeah, yeah. i love watching the films but um watching the commentary tracks and everything it just makes it an ordeal not being able to speed things up a bit um i suppose it does segue into the whole kind of the criterion um region b release yeah, yeah. have you jumped on this one yet i have purchased um macbeth and only angels have wings those two i've picked up so 
Yeah, I, I, it's, it's been, my, my, this is my only mild complaint so far, is it doesn't seem to be like a part on their website where you can see the upcoming releases. I sort no. of have to kind of go on to Amazon and see which the... Um, yeah, exactly. Which, which, when they're coming. So some sort of like English port, what, so Region B port would be quite nice. Uh, and, and another thing is that no one buys Criterion at retail price anymore. So when are we going to see like sales on these Criterion UK titles. Do you know, that's an interesting, interesting you should say that because I buy, I pick up my Criterion um, titles from FOP in Manchester, which is mm-hmm. the best place, best music for film shop in Manchester. And I spoke to the guy in there and he said they'd been selling really, really well. Okay. Uh, and I mean, they, they, even they, they've got like a Criterion section, they've got a Master Cinema section, they've got a Criterion section. And he said that they'd been, they, they had been selling really well. I mean, Oh, nice. I, I've jumped in on on them already, and just I've, I, when you say don't buy at retail price, I yeah, I'm, I'm one of those who still do, still do. I'm afraid I, I haven't waited for the sale. I I don't know whether or not it would be down to the individual shop mm-hmm. or store where when there would be sales on, but I I don't see them dropping in price in the region B category for quite some time actually. Mm. I, th- I think. It, What's the price you picked them up on? Seventeen ninety nine. Seventeen ninety nine. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I know it's something they're going for. You can go on Amazon now, and you can see them on the new and news section for a little bit cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, you can rent them as well through things like Love Film. I've noticed. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the releases so far, from what I've from what I've heard, anyway, they have been selling quite well, which is a yeah. good thing. And the, the, that first kind of. The first few releases, yeah, I only have Angels of Wings, but Beth, Grey Gardens, it happened one night, Speedy and Tootsie. Tootsie's always a strange one. I know it was actually yeah. on the, I know it was in the Criterion Collection as a um, laser disc, but I always kind of think, is, is this really a Criterion film? I'm not entirely sure, but I... Um, say that about Valley of the Dolls and... Yeah, there's, yeah. Def- there's definitely a few in there, but I mean, yeah. I, I, I've really enjoyed the, the release so far, and I've compared them as well, like, this is how lame I am. I've even, because I had a few of them already, Mm-hmm. On that I'd already purchased, I had we had uh, the region one, so I actually even compared just to make sure that the they were the same size disc quality and stuff like that, and there wasn't mm-hmm. any kind of a uh, new scrim because transfer the whole transfer thing sometimes just boggles the mind. The fact <laughs> that you can have a, a film can come out in two different territories and have two completely different transfers. A film like Braveheart, for example, the region B version of that is. A poor, poor relation of the Region A version for some mm. reason. It's just insane. But no, everything looks to be exactly the same, which was yeah. a mild concern that I had. But uh, I, I hope they start bringing more out each month. It's kind of a little bit. There's two in July, I think, one in August slated so far. So I would, well, I'd like to see them kind of pick up the amount of releases they're putting out. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I love about Master Cinema Cast is the free shipping, um, which isn't on the Amazon. Um, so that's one of the reasons I pick up almost all, all the releases from Master Cinema um, yeah. directly from their page, just to skip on that free shipping. Because when I order from Amazon, I get an extra like four or five pounds worth of shipping. Right. So uh, it definitely brings the costs up for me. Um, yeah, I'm a, I got Amazon Prime, so yeah, exactly. Like an issue, which, if you're not, I think it's actually a really good deal. Amazon, if you do shop a lot on Amazon Prime, because not only do you get free shipping, but you get um, some pretty great TV and films on their mm-hmm. streaming service. So. Yeah. Okay, so the the other release that has come out since we last talked is Spine Number One Fifty Five, Stanley Kubrick's Paths of Glory, on September nineteenth. 
Uh, and this is a pretty huge deal for them considering Criterion has this out in the US and they've recently gone off to Europe as we've been talking about. So this is uh, Kubrick's masterpiece, I would say, from 1957 World War I with Kirk Douglas. And we get an interview with the Kubrick scholar Peter Kramer, as well as the filmmaker Richard Ayod, Ayode. Sure. No. <laughs> you're just the worst person the worst pronouncement names <laughs> yeah. true uh, and also an audio you're not comment- supposed to agree with that statement yeah. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> an audio commentary by Adrian Martin as well so um, but I love um, I wasn't as keen on the conversation piece um, DVD cover but this cover I'm really fond of yeah I it's one of my favourite films Paths of Glory mm-hmm. uh, Every time I go back to it, I'm always surprised, slightly surprised just how good it is. Um, it does a great job of contextualising that war into an hour and a half, just the, the madness of it and the cruelty of it mm-hmm. and the unjustness of it. And I've had the pleasure of seeing it a couple of times in the cinema. It kind of ruined me for a little while after seeing it like that. And I remember when Criterion put the Blu-ray out, which I did pick up, um, going back to it and I, I think I'm going to wait for this new Master Cinema one plonk it up on the old projector because I, I really want to see it again in a you know, larger format and it, it, yeah it's interesting that they've managed to get the rights to this I'm, I'm, I am really intrigued as to what the what Arrow Master Cinema and Criterion and, and, and the like are going to do regarding leases mm. because Arrow is about to put out The Human Condition which is another um, Criterion DVD only release at the moment mm. And uh, yeah, I can see kind of like a, a bit of a Cold War situation almost developing with people trying to get these. And hope, I mean, not that you know, quality's ever been an issue, but perhaps it might encourage people to kind of you know, really up the game on in terms of extras and going the extra mile in terms of the packages. But I, I really enjoyed the, I have really enjoyed the artwork as well. Mm. Absolutely. Um, so those are the, the news section of the show, sort of. Um, but today we are talking about soul power. Come on now, you know where that's at. What you want? What you need? What you want? What you want? 
it's summer music festivals are going all around yes. and recently of course we had the death of Muhammad Ali as well so yeah that was, an, actually, that was enough and I, I only only I only made that connection when I was watching the film actually and <laughs> thought oh yeah I, I didn't even think about that one when I was uh, scheduling this and ta- watching it so but that is true uh, I don't hope this come across as we kind of cashing in on his yeah name. cynical <laughs> anyway. cash in on, on celebrity death yeah yeah um, but what, what is your kind of relation to music festivals and concert movies of that sort? Well, let's, I suppose we could deal with the first, uh, primarily. I mean, I I have been to music festivals before. Mm-hmm. And my kind of take on them is I am, as anyone who knows me, I literally don't like getting my hands dirty. <laughs> I, I am a bit, I, I, I'm, I'm very, I very much like a nice bed comfort and therefore festivals sometimes don't align with my kind of my 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 my, my way of thinking so i have been to them before Mm. and i've had a great time at them but perhaps the older i've got now i do kind of retreat if i was to go to a festival now i would have to there would have to be paid showers and private toilets and i would probably pay the extra 300 quid to have (laughs) some kind of artisan bread facility next to me or something that that kind of crap basically but yeah i enjoy them but i have not been for one for a while um that might be remedied actually next month because there's one in manchester that i'm quite interested in going to but Hmm. yeah i've been to them i do enjoy them there are quite a lot of elements now i'm a bitter old man i would probably i would probably find a lot to moan about but in the, the context of films i think concert films per se are an incredibly hard one to pull off because Mm -hmm. I've actually had personal experience of attempting to make a film with a, um, a when I used to work for dance music labels, a DJ um, who I worked for contacted me and he was putting on a um, series of pies in Ibiza and he wanted to make kind of a, a, a short film about him and his music and these nights. And it, it was virtually impossible because what people tend to do is they talk about themselves or they get other people to talk about them as if what they're doing some has some kind of massive cosmic significance <laughs> now if you're in dealing with the dance music industry this is what happens when people go to nightclubs they take a load of drugs and dance to incredibly loud fast music they don't give a toss about the political affiliations of the person that's playing the records they're just there to have a good time and what, what unfortunately happened in this case was um I was having to ask said DJ's friends like questions about him and they were coming coming out with sentences like, oh, well, well, he changed people's perception of music. So when pushed further, I was like, well, what do you actually mean by that? And they were like, well, you know, the way people listen to music. And I was like, well, how did they listen to it before? How did they listen to it now? And basically what it is, they just don't know what they're talking about. They're just trying to sound <laughs> profound and intellectual and it's a complete and utter disaster. Yeah. And, and I've seen that sometimes in concert films where trying to make it out that what they're doing is oh so important and oh so interesting and you think oh shut up it kind of gets a little bit tedious after a while and really when you watch uh, any kind of music documentaries I think it helps if there's a wider significance to the event itself Mm -hmm. certainly in the case of something like Gimme Shelter now obviously that happens retrospectively because with, with Gimme Shelter, obviously, I think I, I talked about it in the other podcast, but I think it, 
in a way, we, we attached another meaning to that film where we saw it as the end of kind of 60s idealism. Mm. And you have essentially someone being stabbed at a concert, which you know, is supposed to be all kind of free love and whatnot. And you end up having someone killed by a hell's angel. Um, likewise, the Woodstock Festival um, documentary film, which I think is quite brilliant in a way. Uh, it's hilariously funny at times. The announcements telling people what LSD to take and not take <laughs> is one of the... never fails to send me into utter hysterics. Uh, my name is Hugh Romney. I'm with a hog farm and I'm working uh, on, on a scene. Some people call it bum trips. I don't think there's such a thing as a bum trip. We're working with homo voyages. A half an hour... After we release anybody from our section, we turn them into doctors and they care for people that were tripping like they were when they came in. Now, people have been saying that some of the acid is poison. It's not poison. It's just bad acid. It's manufactured poorly. So anybody that thinks they've taken some poison, forget it. And if you feel like experimenting, only take half a tab. Yeah, we obviously see Woodstock as being something which was incredibly important now. Over time, it seems to take on more significance. But I I find some of them to be really dull. I I don't like watching, like when bands put out concert DVDs or Blu-rays. I've bought a few like Bruce Springsteen ones before and a couple of others. And it never works for me, really. I don't think it's the best way of, of looking or looking at music, but certainly when I think there's a significance to the event and there's there's a bit of context behind the, the artists that are performing in relation to the event, I think that certainly helps, which mm. to a degree you get with Soul Power. Mm. It's, it's kind of a strange and ambitious thing trying to like capture this once-in-a-lifetime performance, this one yeah. night and... It's it's a sort of fleeting uh, fleeting event that you need yeah. to capture on on the visuals, and it's very very difficult. I am also not a big fan of concert films, so this will make for an interesting discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, just just on festivals in general. Are you a no? I've never been to a festival where I've had to sleep. Uh, at the present uh, or at the event uh, I've been to day festivals uh, which I um, I sort of enjoy but I'm more of a um, I'm much more of a if it's a special kind of artist uh, I might go and watch their concert but going to festivals and walking around um, listening to different bands that I've never heard of um, that's not really my cup of tea um, so like uh, a music festival where uh, you're going there to discover bands. Uh, That's not really for me, I think. Uh, There are many other things I would much rather do. Uh, Also, I'm also one of those that don't like to get rather dirty so <laughs> in the event of war we're not going to be very good are we decided we'll be we'll be in the back lines yeah yeah well i'll, I'll be a hostage or something like that. I'll, I'll volunteer for that. no I, I i have no i have no qualms admitting no i'm a, I'm a bit I, I just don't see the pleasure in living like a refugee no exactly exactly you know i want if I've I can got, have I've comfort, got, yeah, I've, I've got go for it. Yeah, I've got to the stage in life where I'm at an age where I know exactly what I want, mm-hmm. and 
waking up with a crashing hangover, hearing someone in the tent next door discussing <laughs> the meaning of life because they're or waking up to someone a... pissing on your tea. Yeah, it just it just doesn't do it for me. Uh, I don't, you know, perhaps the younger me went to a lot more of these things and slightly more carefree, but yeah, I, you know, I, I like beds. I like having a shower and yeah, civilization. But uh, on the other hand, uh, I have had some extremely memorable concert experiences uh, which will last me a lifetime so it's not that I don't enjoy music concerts uh, but I don't enjoy the music festival which I feel is a kind of two different things Uh, the festival my my image of a festival is walking around uh, with uh, in the mud uh, with crap food and um, kind of a half uh, half empty beer uh, yeah. and listening to music that you have no relation to I would say actually though there are a lot of festivals now that seem to cater for my middle class comfort sensibilities mm-hmm. um, festival number six apparently in Wales is one which I need to check out and does look actually quite good but no like I say I've had some I've had yeah, I've a couple of memories from um, festivals one involving Sister Bliss from Faithless mm-hmm. and and um, smoking something on a on a fence <laughs> that's one particular highlight but yeah no it's, it's it's something which in light of this conversation i might sign up for something now and go to one just to just to test whether or not mm-hmm. it's it, it, you know, how i how i kind of fare yeah i might make a i might make a, a, a concert video <laughs> of me going around festival to see how much i can how irritated i could not get by everything going on so yeah that needs to go up on the facebook page yeah no, <laughs> that could be quite good actually but um, I have seen a couple of um, um, music festival films, like mm. uh, we've been talking about um, Give Me Shelter, which is yeah. an incredible film, but incredible because of the context as you've been talking about. No one, when they made that film, thought they were going to come out with that. No, exactly. Um, it just seems to have, you know, well, I'd say luck, obviously not luck, but in terms of a filmmaking, kind of right place, right time, it certainly has taken on that. I mean, have you seen the, is it the, the Criterion? Is it the Monterey Pop? Monterey Pop, Mon- yeah. But yeah, that's absolutely. a great, that's a really interesting one. Yeah. So from, I mean, from that as well, I got into music like by Ravi Shankar mm-hmm. and, and people like that. You know, I discovered artists who I hadn't really, well, I'd heard of or perhaps not heard before, but yeah. um, certainly kind of like with um, the Woodstock Festival, you know, Jefferson Aeroplane you know, went out and bought all their albums immediately after that. So from that perspective, I've used it as a kind of, to discover new artists yeah what i find about them sometimes is is it's actually just physically watching them because you're not really watching a narrative of sorts are you Mm -hmm. especially not so much um well that really depends on the concert film because i feel like some have uh, a built-up story while others they sort of go for the just the performance yeah and I i think in the context of soul power Mm-hmm. I actually think there's a lot, there's a lot better film in there somewhere than we I actually know. get, and it was ever so slightly disappointing for me this film, because the context of we have this frame. Obviously, you have the fact that you've got what possibly the greatest sporting event ever mm-hmm. about to occur, and I mean let's not you know, beat around the bush. I mean. And one of the things I'm going to do right after this, after we finish recording that, is watch When We Were Kings again. Absolutely. Because I, I was just saying, I, I remember getting goosebumps watching that documentary. 
it was actually one of the first, that was one of the first documentaries I ever saw at the cinema. Yeah. And before I never really associate, and, and it sounds rather daft, I was only 16 or 17, something like that, but I know it sounds rather daft, but I never really associated going to the cinema to watch a documentary as a thing you did. It didn't, it didn't seem to tally up to me. I was like, you go to the cinema to watch films. You don't go there to watch documentaries. And mm-hmm. it was the first introduction I had to watching a, a, a really cinematic documentary at the cinema. And um, when I was watching Soul Power, I was like, oh, wow, because you get... And it, I, think I might go and watch the Ali film as well, the Michael Mann film. But mm-hmm. you're sort of seeing all these venues and this time and place like Zaire, which at the time I'm right in thinking, I believe, that it was still under a dictatorship. Yes, at the it time was. it was an extremely you know, it wasn't um, the nicest of places to be but there's something about the time and the period which I absolutely just loved about this film from the carpets in the hotel to the guys playing on the street I just loved the look of it the fashion of it all that mm-hmm. but I felt that the film felt a bit light I, did, I didn't feel that one, I was getting the background story enough. And, and, and two, I felt there was, it perhaps would have benefited if it would had contemporary interviews with people looking back at the event. Yeah, I can, I can definitely relate to that. Um, Jeffrey Levy Hint, who, he also edited the When We Were Kings film. He actually just assembled alternate footage from the same archival footage here. So, when we were kings, he utilises more of what you're talking about with the talking heads and the retrospective post-event approach, while this sort of lets the music and the musicians, I don't know, speak for themselves uh, in a way. Um, it definitely doesn't try to um, try to um, comment uh, on the music other than just portraying it. No. Um, I, I do feel that this is sort of an excellent companion piece to When We Were Kings, but mm. it's sort of difficult uh, standing on its own. Yeah. I, well, I mean, first things first, I suppose, the music is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed the performances all round, really. I love Bill Withers. So I, didn't, I, didn't, I, forgot, I even forgot he was in it. Um, and but Bill Withers, I feel sorry for him because you've got James Brown and all these kind of funky guys and he's, he's coming out singing this like, oh, my baby's left me type stuff. And it's like, <laughs> come on, Bill, you can pick it up a little bit, mate. You know, I can kind of see him kind of putting everyone on a little bit of a downer. But yeah, I love Bill Withers, B.B. King, people like that. And yeah. James Brown is just utterly sensational. I, had the, yeah. I, I actually saw James Brown at a festival, ironically enough, um, the V Festival back in 1998. And um, he was unbelievable then. I mean, and he was a lot older than he was yeah. in this film in that. And um, yeah, it's just crazy, the, the, the level of talent that's there. The, the thing is, you have such interesting characters in this film. People like Don King. Oh, Christ. Uh, just a despicable human being. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I kind of wanted a bit, I wanted a bit more of Don kind of behind the scenes. And you have this, you have some really incredible guys, like the guy who's from the investment company. Oh, yeah, the Libyan. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who's, who, who basically turns up with this kind of, 
he, he just looks like a, when he wasn't putting on concerts, I'm pretty certain he was probably engineering coups <laughs> and running guns into all manner of, of countries. But the film tries to kind of establish a little bit of attention, uh, sorry, tension, sorry, by the fact that the stage isn't going to be ready or the concert dates are wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, Martin Scorsese did a similar thing in um, Shine a Light, the Rolling Stones uh, concert yeah, film from- that he did. And it didn't really work in that. And it doesn't really work in this one either because I, I'd be more interested in spending time with those guys behind the scenes, mm-hmm. you know, to, trying to get all the, trying to get everything sorted out. Basically, work, obviously, kind of working with a bunch of, you know, vile dictators to put this concert on. I'd, yeah, I'd be more interested to see yeah, that, that, that aspect of it. You know, on the time you left Madrid. Oh, you know, we got, we got a huge discrepancy on the day this festival starts because um, uh, Lukunku said he had just come from the presidency himself. himself. He said the presidency is, is notified every newspaper and all the TV and radio stations, you know, that it is on, the, on Saturday that it starts, not Friday night. And you're saying no, and now I said... tickets are printed for Friday. It's always been Friday, and the contract, it's Friday. The contract was but signed But he said the presidency has moved it. But he told me this morning that he was going on absolutely as scheduled. Who did? Uh, uh, Chupupu? Who's going to pick up the bloody tab for the artists? The extra the extra tab for the artists? If there is any no, there extra there is, tab. There isn't. They're contracted to be here until the 25th. Yeah, their problem says they will perform on either 2021 20, 22. I understand right? that. That was the whole So that if we ask some of them to perform on the 23th, they say it's outside my contract and, and, and now pretty well. Well, that's up to them to decide. For an extra fee. We don't know that. I mean, I, I would like to have the extra day for a better show. These artists, as anything at all, the moment you ask them to do anything that's one bloody dot outside well, their contract, they are going to bloody well they fight. Can... Every further day, I've got 200 people, hotel bills, But we're still coming in two days ahead of schedule, though. Anyway. Yeah, but if we can make it three, all the better. You know, we got to weigh it all, and you know, and I think that it's up to them. If we can get them to agree to it, I think it's to our advantage. We never leave a ticket sale, which is important. We'll see. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not happy about late changes like this, particularly when the situation is as confused as it is now. Alan the base. Um, and the other slight thing about this is obviously, this was an age kind of the technical limitations are quite thing because the, most of the camera work is just from quite a low angle medium close-up you don't get much of the stage or the crowd or anything like that so it's no. quite it's quite intimate it does, but yeah i was underwhelmed by it i just felt there was more stories in there which i would have perhaps been interested in hmm. um the camera operators it includes abbott Maisel's. yeah and you can definitely recognize that sort of cinema verite style that he was a proponent of with the sort of minimal exposition. And yeah, um, yeah, I I was having like these flashbacks to salesmen and that sort of, uh, Mm. that sort of uh, approach to the film. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's economic documentary filmmaking. And this was something actually I was thinking about um, when I was, I, I know I know we're in June, but I've just put out a review of last year on the other podcast. <laughs> that was various. I, I will let myself off on the basis out of some technical issues there, and I lost the show twice. Mm. But one of the things I was talking about on that was that a lot of documentaries now, I think, are, are so overly produced yeah. and directed that I begin to question the validity of what I'm watching. And obviously, as soon as you make an edit in a documentary film, as soon as you impose any kind of artificiality to them you're instantly messing with the integrity of the image and that can just be a cutaway mm-hmm. that that can be you, you can have two people talking and someone cut to someone looking annoyed i can pretty much guarantee that the 
director has probably taken that footage from something else and just put them together to make it look like both shots are related. And what I loved about this film, in one respect, was it, you, the camera's just there observing. I don't think there's it. There, there seems to be minimal amounts of the directors and the filmmakers and the cameramen trying to dictate what's going on. They just seem to be going with the action mm. and letting it unfold between them. And you see like little things like just you know, when they're kind of practicing or warming up or they're out with the locals playing music and everyone starts dancing and having a good time. Like you feel like it's happening organically rather than them saying, right, you start playing, you guys come here and we'll have a bit of an impromptu party. I feel that there is a kind of a freedom to the filmmaking, which mm -hmm. having seen so many, I mean, the, one of the last documentaries I watched was... Um, I went back and watched Cartel Land again, mm -hmm. and and that film. I mean, it's almost like they, I, I I genuinely believe that sometimes they might have had a script for that and said, "Look, can you just? I know what you just said then, but can you just say this and look that and do?" And you're sort of thinking, and I went back and I thought, "God, this." Although I enjoy that film, I did think, mm -hmm. "My God, this has been directed to oblivion, basically." Yeah. So so going back and seeing this, um, yeah, it was it was quite it was quite refreshing in mm -hmm. a way. Um, I'm not entirely sure you could do this again. I'm, I'm not sure audiences would perhaps t accept it or enjoy it as much. Perhaps I don't know. I, I think I can see what you mean. Like we've been we've been so accustomed to narrative and to uh, a story that is progressing. So you see mm. much less of these sort of events unfolding in a more organic sort of way. Yeah, and I mean, can you imagine like if you tipped up now to say. Glastonbury. Mm -hmm. let's, say, let's say, for example, we were commissioned to go and make a film about Glastonbury. And there is a, a, a pretty decent Julian Temple film, actually, about Glastonbury. But let's say, let, let's say yeah, we tipped up. I mean, can you imagine kind of hanging out with Coldplay for something interesting to happen? <laughs> it's just not going to happen, is it? It would just, you oh, know, that's true. <laughs> it, it would be, I'm sure Coldplay are very nice. Yeah, people, but that's but that's it, the thing. They're they're nice. They're, there's nothing like nothing dragging you in there. So no, there's, there's nothing. I mean, like with with this as well, you've got kind of like James Brown. You've got one part of this footage. You've got Muhammad Ali, Bill Withers, and Don King having breakfast. <laughs> I mean, that's just an insane in of itself. And yeah. we've just which was just a load of people just stood there watching them. You know, the locals. That wouldn't happen now. You couldn't. You simply wouldn't. You know, you're not going to have. Justin Bieber, Manny Pacquiao, and Jamie Foxx <laughs> sat in a cafe. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work, would it? There'd just be millions of people begging for selfies. And I think this is like a new. It's, this is an older age of fame as well. I think when there was a slight kind of degree of the fact that you know, they, they perhaps didn't have the airs and graces that a lot of people have. And it's one of the reasons I, I quite liked it. Like just Muhammad Ali just sat there having his breakfast put any sugar in his coffee. It's little moments like that, which mm. I think this film captures. the government house here? It's a black house. I've never felt so free in my life. We from America where we're not really free. No, we've been free yeah. all our life. We want to see our people free. Are you free in America? I've been free all over the world. Oh, this nigga I, I have been free. <laughs> I, 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 you free too, all of You, what about us? You free champ. Sammy Davis free champ. What about the spinners? Okay, the spinner. <laughs> Bill here, he's free. Well, who are you? Why do you cake? talk so loud? What do you have? Who have you? I don't know. I'm just a dishwasher in the kitchen trying to turn out the cake. Well, you ain't free. I've been free all my life. No, you crazy. That's why I teach a freeman. 
Who's he been drinking? <laughs> You've been drinking something. I have. Africa weather. <laughs> but I, I, I feel like, like, like I keep going back to, I just feel there's more there somewhere than what we're actually getting. Yeah. I feel like what I was left with is that uh, that feeling of a kind of unbalance in terms of the screen time given to the organizers versus the screen time given to the musicians and and the fighters. Uh, it has the feeling of making the festival um, somewhat bigger than it really was. Um, yeah. Like it was going to be some sort of Woodstock. But when you ask someone in the streets nowadays, they know nothing about, say, a 74, but everyone will have heard of Woodstock, you know? It's an interesting one as well because obviously you have like a kind of it's mentioned in the film like you have like a lot, a lot of black musicians going back to Africa and you know, this is like the where all kind of modern funk and soul originated from mm-hmm. and then you've got this kind of they're going back there back to, to the roots and the yeah, black back power to the roots. movement yeah and that's kind of one thing I, I would have been more interested like them them spending time I don't know if it happened but going out and spending time with like famous African musicians mm-hmm. and just seeing how where did soul come from or what what was your origin what was their relation to it what was their BB King for example talking about how certain artists influenced him and then seeing more of that and I don't know, you know if these scenes even occurred, but I would I would have been intre- more interested to hear about how they have you know, how they were influenced, or just the history of the music that came out of Africa, how it kind of influenced them, and then them obviously kind of playing back to an African audience. Absolutely, yeah, that that you know that that kind of thing, like hearing what people think about it. I just felt there was a slightly more interesting tale there from a music point of view as well. Yeah. Because the festival is sort of represents this potent social cultural moment where many of the African American and Latin musicians this was their first introduction to Africa and African musicians, and you have some very potent scenes where some of them are talking about why they went there and what what it meant for them. But yeah. it's it's less than I want. I want yeah. I want I want it fleshed out because this is quite a fascinating look at musical history, as well as like racial politics and global mm. culture and everything yeah and you have um, I can't remember her name but she's a singer from South Africa yeah w- which used that clicking sound that yeah she Miriam talks about. I think yeah I mean, it's amazing because she, she's just mm-hmm. the, this, this noise and it's like what the hell's that and uh, I, I wanted to find out more about that but yeah there was a kind of a socio-political aspect to it and this is Africa in a very much a transitional phase as well because you've gone from colonial rule mm-hmm. to I think what you can safely say is the rule of dictators absolutely and then, I mean, Africa in the 70s, 80s, and probably right up to the, to the 90s too, mm-hmm. really became a phase of civil war and unrest. I mean, there isn't, I think Zaire or it's Congo now. Yeah. But, I mean, it was, it's, it was in a terrible state uh, you for had, years. You had Mutubu, who's the dictator, and he was, like, the, he was called the archetypal African dictator with mm. corruption and nepotism and human rights violations and simply like a horrible man who had vast personal wealth and he's attempting to like purge all of the cultural influence that has come from Western civilization and he's still enjoying support from the US because his anti-communist stance and he yeah. just ran the ground into ran the country into the ground in like huge debts exploiting the country economically through like embezzlement and corruption so it's interesting looking at people like Muhammad Ali who's talking about 
Africa as sort of this haven and as mm. sort of freedom and everything, but he's completely naive of the day-to-day lives of the African people who are actually living there. People drive their cars and they're so peaceful and nice and they got their own airports and hotels and little houses and little streets and little nightclubs and they, it ain't so bad. No kid, New York is more of a jungle than here. The policemen arrive with four and five guns and dogs. Every minute a homicide, somebody dies, dying with dope, and 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 always somebody been raped or somebody been robbed or somebody on the rooftop shooting shooting twelve people. A uh, go man goes in the bank and shoots the tail and stabs the bank official, and he runs out and he gets shot down the street. Two cars head on doing a hundred mile now. Train jumped over a track. Mine caves in. Always something in America. And you're so peaceful over here. And really, the savages in America. Yeah, I mean, this is something. I mean, we have this all the time, don't we, in the West, where I, I call it like Western masochism, mm-hmm. where we think we, we are, we're evil. We're the worst of the worst. It's the sort of Noam Chomsky view of the world where we're just as bad. And it kind of does, it's a sure way of causing an argument with some people when they talk about, you know, these apparent, like, the freedom of a country like Cuba. Mm-hmm. I've been to Cuba. I can I can assure you, it's not a free country <laughs> at all. It's go out in a in a with a sandwich board saying, "I want free elections in the middle of Havana." You will end up in prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know this. These aren't these kind of free utopias that we like to think of themselves. And having Muhammad Ali there, and there's no debate. There's no doubt that obviously when this film was made, and certainly in the years preceding it, civil rights in America were atrocious. I mean, let's be let's be honest. I mean, even when, when Ali died recently, I was reading what he he's what he told when he refused to go and serve in Vietnam, and um, it's absolutely bang on. I mean, this was a country you know we had still segregation in the South. It was, mm. it was a terrible, terrible place. But yeah, the fact that he's over there and talking about the Zaire. I mean, this is a country where it's an, it's an awful place. Yeah. Let's be brutally honest. I mean, it's this isn't it's not it's by no means a perfect country and to even kind of, it's a hundred times worse than living in America. Yeah. You, you can guarantee, I mean, Zaire at the time, if you were some sort of pro-democracy demonstrator, I don't think you'd be getting a fair trial on a nice, <laughs> you know, put under home arrest. I should imagine your body would end up in a ditch and you have, I mean, um, Idi Amin in Uganda, I mean, as well. You I mean, have that. There's, that. there's that brilliant documentary, isn't there? Um, Idi Amin, I can't yeah. it's called, um, something like that. But, yeah, you have these vile human beings running these countries mm-hmm. who, through... It's one of the, the, the unfortunate side effects of celebrities sometimes mm-hmm. in that they can accidentally endorse these people. Yeah. Um, and the naivety, like, I mean, for example, who's that guy, the, the leader of Chechnya or something like that? He's an absolute vile bastard. It was his 40th birthday and he pumped out Sting there. To play and and he had like a load of celebrities come out and um, I think one of the bizarre ones was Hilary Swank I think was like Christ. master of ceremonies and she got paid like two million dollars and then claimed she knew nothing about this guy and it was like how can you not know yeah. you know and it, it, it's that and it's it's strange like you say I mean I'm watching Bill Withers one of my favourite artists crooning <laughs> and you're sort of thinking Bill you know you're legitimising in a way this vile human being but because of who we are I, wa- I wanted to know more about this guy I know he refused to kind of stump up the cash for the mm-hmm. for the festival but again that's another aspect of it where I could have done with some kind of contemporary look back on it yeah 
you know, people saying that, you know, well, this guy was this guy was awful but you don't get that you do get this impression you get the propaganda view of Zaire that comes through these celebrities saying oh yeah it's really nice here yeah. <laughs> everyone's free and happy it's like <laughs> really <You know? laughs> um, uh, one person that I would have loved to see but who's markedly absent is George Foreman uh, yes he was uh, injured uh, from a sparring match I think uh, yeah. and he he was the reason they postponed the fight for six weeks uh, and they still chose to go ahead with the music festival, even though all the tourists, they left the place. Um, but you you can sort of, um, you get the feeling that the focus is more on Muhammad Ali than on Foreman itself, sadly. Let's be yeah, well, let's be honest, Muhammad Ali is brilliant. He, Absolutely. He, he, yeah. I mean, there's that bit where a fly lands on him and he starts saying that um, the flies in America are too lazy. Because they're facts. There's so much food, <laughs> and it, everything he comes out, he, he seems to. Have, he, he's just so captivating and funny and charming. You could literally sit and watch him all day. I think the problem with George Foreman was um, he didn't really endear himself to the locals because he turned up with two uh, German shepherd dogs, which were the Belgian government's dog of choice for putting down riots and basically <laughs> chasing after people. So he made a few faux pas in that department, and was kind of presented as being the bad guy in yeah. all this and having seen George Foreman now he seems like the just a cool old man who just you know, I've got a George everyone's got a George Foreman grill he just comes across <laughs> as this lovely jovial old guy but the way I think he was at the time I don't think he was particularly well liked he certainly had a kind of he um, was the up and coming 25 like newcomer yeah and I, I, I think Muhammad Ali was kind of the people's choice yeah. and he was the one who kind of he would like I think from what I heard Foreman was kind of held, held up in his um, uh, hotel with his entourage and his, his dogs and um, he was the Ivan Drago and Muhammad yeah, Ali was the Bulbo definitely yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely um, just a quick side note as well um, go, go on Google and look at um George Foreman used to have a pet tiger and lion that he used to take for walks. <laughs> and he's just the most, like, there's some insane pictures of him just calmly walking down with these two absolute beasts. So he's quite a funny guy. But yeah, definitely he, he, he was the Drago and we got Rocky kind of. It's interesting that we're actually using fiction to ascribe it to reality <laughs> and not the other way. But um, yeah, it's, uh, he is notably absent. But I don't think George would be the type who would sit in a cafe with Bill Withers and Don King no. putting sugar in his coffee. I think he was probably yeah, a little bit more, uh, bit, bit, bit more guarded mm. than that. But even saying, even to the best, I cannot wait to watch When We Were Kings again right now, obviously. So. Yeah. But that's, that's sort of an interesting thing about this kind of going to the end here, because you could argue that this is an attempt to bring this festival to the spotlight and that it should be recognised as an important event like uh, the Ali Foreman fight but somehow it doesn't feel important enough and that could be a number of things like my own interest for the music that is uh, portrayed or the fact that I'm a white person with a certain background that I'm simply not able to connect with the film in a certain way I just, I just can't I've been reading some reviews of it where people seem to praise it up and down and I think it's perfectly fine, but I don't know. Um, it's something about how it's more concerned with the musical side of it all instead of the the racial politics and the global politics that we've been talking about, which I feel is much more interesting, but the balance there is sort of unsatisfying for me. 
Yeah, I think it lack, it seems to lack significance. Yes. I don't, I don't even know if it has significance. I don't know if this is... Like I said, people talk about like Live Aid, don't they, still? Mm-hmm. It was this moment where... It was, there, was a, there was an element of it, wasn't it, where the, the governments weren't doing anything about this problem. So this event became, in a way, an attempt at trying to find a solution to this issue. And there's no doubt about it that Live Aid did have... Sorry, Live Aid, sorry did have a massive impact in Africa. You know, it mm. did kind of get people to change how they, how they, you know, how we perceived that continent and what we did, what we could do for that continent. And that was at a time when, well, obviously you'd gone through the age of the dictator and the civil wars and you had basically people starving to death mm-hmm. and, and just awful apocalyptic scenes, really. And you can see why i mean there was a there was a film made about live aid um which was on telly a few, a few years ago and it really did it, it made and it's easy to, for for me and my celebrity scorning ways to kind of i, I can't stand bono people you know they're doing my fucking head in but it, there was a genuine sense that the music was actually helping in some way to change the world mm-hmm. um unfortunately i think what live live aid did was it kind of it made people really um believe that uh, for example, when they put out um, Do They Know It's Christmas again last year in my local Starbucks, it said, stop Ebola and buy this record. I was like, no, buying that record isn't going to stop Ebola. <laughs> but obviously, Harry Styles and Bob Geldof have deluded themselves into thinking that it will. But to come back to the point, Henry, I I know you mean, I don't, I don't understand the significance of this event. It just seems like a concert. Hmm. I don't know if it had any wider impact. I don't know if it influenced the artists who went there, who came back. I don't know if B.B. King, for example, came back and then shipped over a bunch of musicians that he'd met in Zaire and made an album of Afrobeat. I would have loved to have known that, did he? Mm-hmm. You know, did this have a, did this impact the way they looked at music? What was the kind of the, what was the reaction to it in the West? Was there some kind of... Um, tension with regard to the fact that they'd gone to Zaire even knowing it was run by this awful man Mm -hmm. is there anything like that I don't know and I don't get that from this film now you have um, do you remember that film in the World Cinema Foundation box set Uh, I think there's a like an African concert film of sorts there Um, I can't remember Um, like a a Tunisian or Moroccan uh, music there but uh, I remember when I was watching that because that's sort of similar, but it had me kind of discovering a new genre and hmm. discovering something new. And this feels like um, this feels like padding. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And interesting enough, actually, I've recently just discovered a record label called Soundway Records, and they they specialize in African music, and I picked up a. Um, a CD and it's like Nigerian Afrobeat and blues and it's brilliant and and one of the things when I was watching Soul Power was I actually when I go into it I thought oh I'm, I'm really intrigued in case they have like you know some of these bands um, I don't know if you're familiar with like Fela Kuti as well the Nigerian artist there was quite an interesting documentary came out of him but I thought I was going to get more of that in this film mm-hmm. and even I think one of the things as well the, um, the South African lady the Miriam um, Makiba is it I think her name was but she's actually saying at one stage oh, you know, they've, they've bumped me down or they don't want me to go on yet because they felt there were too many African artists or something. She's actually, she's not complaining. She's just sort of saying that she's been kind of bumped down a little bit. And I, I thought that was you know, interesting. What, what, here you are playing to an African audience and there's too much African music, which I thought was a bit yeah. 
if there was ever you know, a moment in the film where I thought there was a kind of a little bit kind of telling the fact that perhaps the, they were going for a slightly more commercial angle with the lineup, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I found that quite interesting. Yeah. Talking about the technical quality of the film, it was shot on high quality 16 track sound from what I could read. And it, it does really sound incredible, especially considering that they're sort of shooting this on the fly, like out in the streets, like the scene with the, the trumpeter walking in the streets with the kids. I can readily attest now, getting decent sound when you're out and about <laughs> is, a, is an absolute nightmare, yes. pain in the ass. And yeah, they really get like, and just the depth of the of the sound quality as well, like proper bass and it never, yeah, it never takes over, you know, it never becomes hard to listen to at all. And I suppose it's, it's good, a good time to talk about the actual musical quality of the concert footage because it does sound amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I've, they've obviously gone back to the mixing board, I think, to get them to get the music. But um, there was a real, I don't know, almost like a real energy to the music mm-hmm. as well. And I know it, you could really, with the kind of the high definition tracks you get on the on on the on the Blu-ray, uh, yeah, I was I was pretty blown away. I have to say by it. Yeah, and that also considering that. James Brown, he opens the concert with such a memorable performance and he closes the film with such a memorable performance. So you really get these two sort of um, bookends that really elevates the film for me. And and that James Brown um, outfit he's wearing, (laughs) it's just amazing. Yeah. It's just, I I don't know. I, I, I was so impressed. Just, just, just by, just by looking at, he just looks like a completely cool guy, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. And um, like, you know, it's little things like the kind of things that slightly make me laugh as well. You know, you've got kind of these guys talking about going back to their African roots and you've got B.B. King with a diamond ring with <laughs> B.B. on it. It's like, yeah, you keep it real. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you've come back to your roots where you can go and you can go back to your massive, massive mansion. Now, I suppose that's always the contradiction, isn't it? And yeah. That kind of, you know, that they're so, they're so, they're, so, they're keeping it so real. Yeah, yeah. With their multi-million dollar lives but the first comment he has when he comes off the plane is I see you have some beautiful women here or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> like a was, I mean did you, what I loved as well about that that the, the plane journey over was this is a time now if you so much as get up and laugh on a plane now you get told to sit down and shut up yeah <laughs> you, you, I mean on this they're all like playing guitar and having a good time and you just know that toilet is just ran full of coke. <laughs> and like, I mean, everywhere, it just seems like, I can't imagine security was that hot when they got there. And uh, yeah, like you said, he kind of, his, his eyes light up, didn't he? He's kind of, I mean, I think didn't Muhammad Ali have an affair whilst he was here as well? Is that, I'm right in thinking, I think he met his mistress or something. Okay. Who would later go yeah, on to yeah, marry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that from the Ali film, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty certain he was, he was he started to have an affair with a journalist or something mm-hmm. like that. So I can actually, it was a pretty good concert to go to if you were one of the organisers. I should imagine there was a lot of uh, fun to be had. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Um, do you have anything else you want to discuss? Only really that I thought, yeah, sound and vision-wise, I thought this was absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. Like we kind of touched on, I thought it's a really great-looking, great-sounding um, Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Again, it, it had the the image itself preserved a really nice filmic look to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's really you need to do a great deal, and I, I would kind of in, in some in summing up saying I think this is kind of like a, a time capsule piece for me. Mm. I'm really interested in that period of, of African history. I really enjoyed the music. I just felt with Soul Power, it was the tip of the iceberg type film. Yeah. And I feel there's another film to be made about this subject that could be a lot more interesting mm-hmm. than what we get. But what we get is is a perfectly enjoyable package. Yeah. It's, I think there was like 
125 hours of footage that they had at the disposal. So uh, an interesting experiment would be like cutting uh, a When We Were Kings soul power, like Odyssey film of sorts. Yeah, no, definitely. So, but I, I, I completely agree. So um, I don't have th- anything else um, to add to that. But um, yeah. I would just add one thing actually on the subject of film music and whatnot. And this isn't related to this film at all. But I recently went, went to go and watch Hans Zimmer in concert. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, he's, I, he's on tour at the moment going around Europe. And if you get the chance, go and watch him because it was one of, one of the most enjoyable nights of music. I've ever had and it was so interesting to see sound film soundtrack music mm-hmm. play and how it goes play, played so well removed from the film as it were and uh, yeah definitely if Hans is on tour around your way go and see him because it was one of the best nights of music I think I've ever witnessed actually yeah I um I listened to your top um 2015 uh, episode and you mentioned yeah. Montage of Heck as one of yes. the worst films uh, have yes. you seen MTV Unplugged Nirvana? No. No. Okay. But, but is it um, is it because of your lack of interest in Nirvana that you felt that the film? Uh, I just I, well, as I sort of said in the interview, really, I don't think Kurt Cobain had a whole lot of interesting things to say about life mm. out of his music. Um, a great counterpoint is something like the Marley documentary obviously about Bob Marley mm-hmm. not about you know, the title gives it away a little bit but um, the thing about that film was that Bob Marley was a really fascinating person very flawed person definitely but he was very interesting he had a, you know he, there was something to him but we, I, I didn't get that of Montage Effect I just found it slightly fluffy as well I thought it was there was an element of propaganda about it I know it was made in conjunction with his family I didn't feel like it was really he didn't say a great deal about him I don't think hmm. um, that I found particularly interesting like I said it doesn't help by that well, I, don't, I don't even have to like the music to enjoy a film of that kind but no I, I didn't I didn't get much of it at all and I, I've not seen MTV Unplugged so okay um, MTV Unplugged is one of my like favourite concert films that I've seen um, just for the fact that not necessarily because of uh, the music itself even though I I do enjoy Nirvana's music but mm-hmm. you can sort of tell that this is their last performance that it has something of a uh, an air of doom uh, right. like lingering in the scenes and mm. it's sort of this funeral before he died uh, mm. I found it like it's really interesting in retrospect. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also the fact that they they chose to move away from their usual sound in such a marquee way. So yeah, I mean MTV Unplugged used to be uh, in the nineties. It was quite a thing, wasn't it? Yeah. MTV Unplugged. It was it was kind of a it was sort of a in a way it was if you got if you did an MTV Unplugged. I think it kind of it was it was the the legitimization of your band. I remember when Oasis did it. Mm-hmm. And it was something like, bloody hell, you know, Oasis, they've really made it now. They're doing an MTV Unplugged show. But um, MTV yeah. now, what is that? It's not even music anymore, so. I, I, do you know what? I haven't watched MTV. <laughs> I can't even remember. I know I've got it. I know every time I kind of like flick through Sky, it seems to be more like my Super 16 birthday party. It just seems hideous yeah. now. I don't... Do we, does anyone even make music videos anymore? I don't even know. I don't, I don't know. It, it, they make them for promos, so... Um, so we can start sort of wrapping things up a bit. Um, yep. Tell the people where they can reach you. So. 
Um, you can find me 24framescast.blogspot.com. You can phone me on Twitter at 24framescast. Um, you can befriend me on Facebook. I'm the Tom Jennings with the miserable expression standing next to the Berlin Wall. Um, yeah, and um, or you can email me at 24framescast at gmail.com. And you can find us at mocast.blogspot.com. Find us on Twitter, moc underscore cast, or on Facebook. You can just search for Masters of Cinema Cast and you'll probably find us. So um, we'll be back soon, actually. So uh, until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.